El Fanboy, Episode 8. Listening to the El Fanboy Podcast. This is your host, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR. And uh, let's get to today's show, shall we? So I saw a couple of movies this last week. What did I see? I saw Life, which uh, is kind of funny coming off of that conversation I had with Kelvin last week. Uh, he didn't sound all that impressed. So I, I went to go check it out and I was not expecting much. And I got to tell you, I don't know how this movie got a C cinema score. I don't know why Kelvin wasn't all that impressed with it. I just don't get it. I mean, I thought life was, uh, I thought it was tense. I thought it was well acted. I thought it looked impeccable. It didn't look like a $60 million movie. It looked like it could stand toe-to-toe with some of these other big-budget space sci-fi movies. You know, there were a couple of lulls where, like, I'll admit, it's a little slow at times. But overall, I thought life was a great space horror flick. So, um... I saw that last week, shortly after the podcast, and then I also saw Get Out. So, um, I got to tell you, I went in there not really knowing what to expect. I went in sort of, I felt oddly defensive about Get Out. I don't know why. I guess, I guess it's just that part of me that when whenever you see something that everybody loves, and you know, since it had that one hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes for a while, when you see something like that. There's that part of your brain that's like, oh, it's got to be hype. There's got to be, you know, the 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 it, it, the game is rigged. The fix is in. There's no way it's that good. So I kind of wasn't really even sure I was going to go see it. But um, I got to tell you, I was very impressed. I was very pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I'm not a Key and Peel guy. I've never seen any other stuff. I've never watched a single episode of that show. I don't know Jordan Peel really from a hole in the wall. I've just seen him around. And I know he's a big deal, but I just, I, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, I, I was worried that this thing was going to be some sort of like, oh, so clever love letter to the liberal left that heavily played up the racial undertones in our current society. And thankfully, what I found instead was a beautifully shot, very smart, very inventive, very tense thriller. Um, and now I totally get the hype. Now, you know, as for why uh, Mr. Peel is now a director that's, you know, that's in demand, that people seem to want to get him signed up for other projects. And I also hear that they're basically scrapping Key and Peel, that he will not be returning to the sketch comedy world. And I, I get it now. You know what? I think we've got a very exciting new filmmaker on our hands. And I should clarify, too, when I say it's like a love letter to the liberal left. Uh, you know, I, I, I am a lib, I, I, I'm a libtard and you guys just have to deal with that. But, you know, lately I just think people get too much on their high horses and too rah, rah, rah about certain issues. And I, I've had so many little confrontations on Twitter and Facebook and elsewhere with like social justice warrior types. So for me, get out, I was sort of apprehensive thinking, oh, this is going to be some sort of, you know, the. The, the, the social justice warriors will cream their pants for this movie, but I wonder how, how anyone else will like it. And uh, thankfully, it was much more than that. And uh, it's funny how I caught it, too, because I was actually working a double on Saturday. 
I was working a, a bar mitzvah and then a surprise 60th birthday party. And I noticed when I got to the gig uh, on Saturday morning to set up, I'm like, well, I'm going to have like three hours to kill between events. So how do I fill it? And I was up in uh, Port Chester, New York. And as it turned out, there was an AMC like a block and a half away and get out fit perfectly in terms of the timing. So I'm like, fuck it. I will see get out. And I should just mention, by the way, just a reminder out there, if you're listening and you live in the New York tri-state area, you can have good old MFR here, DJ, your wedding, bar mitzvah, your sweet 16, your block party, your freaking house party. I'm around. This is what I do for 15 years. I DJ parties. But anyway, uh, get out, perfectly fill the time between gigs. And, uh, you know, while I was at the first gig, by the way, which was at the Capitol Theater uh, in Port Chester, I found out that they're going to have Bill Burr over there in late June, right in time for my birthday, which is June 23rd. So I picked up a couple of tickets for the wife and I. Cannot freaking wait. Bill Burr is in my current top three, and his podcast, the Monday Morning Podcast, Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast, is a mainstay in my weekly rotation. So that I will, as soon as I saw his name on the poster, I'm like, oh, that's happening. That is absolutely happening. Um, and speaking of my top three, Louis C.K. dropped the first of two new specials today on Netflix. He has not one, but two different specials going up on Netflix in the year 2017. And for me, like that, that, that makes today like a holiday. You know, anytime Louis releases anything, it's like Christmas. You know, he fills the void left in my life by the passing of George Carlin very nicely. You know, Carlin, growing up, Carlin was my guy, my guru. Growing up, my, my dad, my uncle, and I would build things around the arrivals of a new Carlin HBO special. You know, the man was a sage and, and funny as hell. And like when he died, I really wondered, I'm like, am I ever going to find a comedian that speaks to me the way that Carlin did? And thankfully, now I've got Louie. Thankfully, we've all got Louie. So I can't wait to check out the new special. I, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to be pretty familiar with a lot of the material because I caught him last September at Madison Square Garden. Uh, he did a, like an hour and a half set then, so I assume I'm going to be kind of familiar with what he's doing, but I still can't wait. And um, while we're on the subject of comedians, I'm, I'm probably going to get into some hot water here, but I've got to address Amy Schumer. Uh, I keep seeing this trailer for Snatched. It played against uh, right before Get Out. It played right before Life. So both of the movies that I saw in the last week had this Snatched trailer um, play right before it. So she's just kind of on my mind. And, you know, her current flame out is pretty epic. I feel like only two years ago she was the hottest thing in comedy, and now she literally can't make a good thing. Uh, her last special which came out on Netflix, I want to say, like a month ago, was awful. And I used to like her stuff. I, I, I really did. A couple of years back, before, before she became a household name, I used to really like Amy Schumer. Even my wife, who, you know, she was a big fan too. We used to watch her stuff together. We're watching her new special, and she asked me to change it because we just both found it, like, painfully dull. And I'm looking at this Snatch thing, and I think it's funny that it's coming out in a month and I've heard dick about this movie. I've heard dick about this movie. 
I've only these trailer when I saw the trailer last week, I'm like, oh, I didn't even know she was making this. And it's funny to me to think that considering, you know, train wreck when she did that with Judd Apatow, what, a year and a half ago? It was such a huge deal. And this is really her follow-up to train wreck, her you know, her next vehicle post train wreck. And yet I haven't heard Dick about Snatched until last week. Um and looking at this trailer, having seen it twice now, it looks like a total turkey, you know? And and here's where we get into why I think people are going to be pissed off because something I'm, I, something I feel about what's going on with her current flame out and her current little fall from grace here is I think Schumer totally underestimated how important her looks were to her overall appeal, all right? You know, when she was coming up, she was pretty hot. There was something cool and sexy and kind of a novelty about a, about a hot girl standing up there, cursing like a sailor and speaking frankly about vulgar shit. You know, what made her special was that combination. You know, her risque material combined with her looks. But now in the last two years, probably as some sort of, you know, like feminist statement, she's kind of like let herself go. And she sort of flaunts that as part of this statement that she's trying to make. And somehow people aren't as big on her anymore. Have you noticed that? You know, her Bud Light campaign with Seth Rogen got canceled early. They, they axed that earlier than they were planning on it because it just wasn't working and sales actually seem to be going down. Uh, her next movie, which like I said, is Snatched, has zero buzz around it. And the, the Netflix special, you know, people are talking about the fact that it's got one star. Like, everyone is down rating it. Everyone's giving it thumbs down. It was really, really shitty. And I'm saying it's not a coincidence. Yeah, and this isn't a sexist thing. I don't think every woman has to go out there and she has to look like some sort of cover model and they all have to... They, every woman is, is just there to dangle in front of me as some sort of eye candy. You know, it's not a sexist thing. It's a life thing. It's a celebrity thing. There are a lot of performers out there, male and female, who understand the value of staying in great shape for their projects. You know, unless it's for a specific role where it's acquired for the story, you're not going to see people like Chris Evans, Henry Cavill, Vin Diesel, Jennifer Lopez, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, or Tom fucking Cruise go in front of a camera looking out of shape. They all understand that that's part of the total package, you know? And that's not a bad thing. You know, they're not character actors. They're not Seth Rogen or Wanda Sykes or Martin Freeman or Bill Murray, Melissa McCarthy or Octavia Spencer. You know, actors like that, you know, they're cast in projects because of their comedic chops or they're cast because of the general flavor they bring to the screen. And I, right now, I think Amy Schumer is learning, perhaps the hard way, that a big part of her appeal was, you know, was her being like the hot girl at the bar who talks like one of the guys. And you take away the looks and go out there looking like all you have time to do is eat and booze all the time, and suddenly people aren't as interested in what you're putting out into the world. You know, and look, I know there's more to it than that. I know that there was the whole, the joke thief stuff that she was accused of, the sort of big mouth reputation that she's gotten out there. But I really think there's a valuable lesson here, and, and that lesson is you have to know what your appeal is, and you have to honor that. You know, just as an example, I'm a big fan of John Mayer. I love that guy. Uh, and he had a big flame out of his own a few years ago because, you know, he ventured far out of his little box. 
He started trying to do stand-up comedy. He became very outspoken about stuff he should have just kept to himself. And he developed a really bad reputation. He kind of became, you know, the John Mayer brand became sort of toxic. And he eventually had a great realization after going away and retreating to Montana to sort of find himself again. Uh, you know, he had this great quote in an interview I read somewhere about realizing he'd forgotten what got him to the dance. In other words, you know, what was it that I did that first brought me to the spotlight? What was it about me that everyone loved and made me who I am? That, that thing, that's what I'm here to do and provide. You know, I shouldn't confuse fame with an excuse to just now do whatever I want. There's something I do that appeals to people. I need to stick to that. For Mayer, it was music. For Schumer, it was being the sexy girl who told crude jokes. That's that's her lane. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to stay in your lane, you know? And, and, and you know who's great at that? Tom Cruise, who I mentioned a couple seconds ago. Did you guys see the new Mummy trailer? You know, Cruise, he, he gets his lane. He understands. He knows what he brings to the table, and he doesn't mess with it. He knows what his product is, and he sells the shit out of it. Homeboy is 54 years old, and there he is running around without a shirt looking jacked because he knows that's part of what makes Tom Cruise Tom Cruise. Um, now, as for the trailer itself, I agree with some of what I've seen out there on Twitter. I was surprised by how action-oriented you know, it looks. Um, you know, I was hoping for something of, with a more like classic horror feel, since this is, in theory, you know, Universal Pictures trying its best to relaunch the classic monster line. I was hoping for something a little more gothic, a little more just like classic slow burn horror movie. And this did look kind of like, uh, like a mashup of styles. You know, you kind of had, you know, Mission Impossible type Tom Cruise stuff running around with guns and diving and stunts. And you had some horror in there and you know, it also just looked just like a typical adventure movie. Um, and, you know, here's hoping that the trailer itself is just trying to market it. You know, they're, they're trying to appeal to as wide a swath of audience members as they can. And here's hoping that's all it is, that this trailer really plays up the action because they know people tend to pay a lot of money to see Tom Cruise run around with a gun and they like their spectacle and they want people to think about, you know, epic action-adventure movies that have come out. But here's hoping that the actual movie is a little more on the horror side. Because, you know, I, I will say that as much as I enjoyed the trailer, I found it entertaining. It's not necessarily what I was hoping the new Mummy would look like. Or what I was hoping that this new Universal Pictures, you know, classic monster universe that they're trying to build. Uh, I was hoping it wouldn't look or feel quite like that. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that, that trailer dropped. There have been a few trailers that dropped in the last week, and we're going to hit all those. But before we get to that, we got to talk about Batgirl, guys. Batgirl. Now listen, before I, I get specifically into Batgirl, uh, I just want to remind people, because I know I'm sort of known for, for being very hard on DC, and I'm known as like the anti-DCEU guy, but, um... You know, I've always said that the DCEU could improve. You know, I've never been one of those people that said it needs a hard reboot. Uh, I've, tended, I've tended to say that all the elements are there. You know, I like a lot of the casting. I'm in love with the characters themselves. And I don't hate the tweaks 
that have been made to the mythos in order to adapt the DC Extended Universe to the big screen. The problem for me always lived and died with Zack Snyder. You know, I just don't like his vision for the characters. And I've always thought of the DCU as something where all the right ingredients are there, but the chef doesn't know how to use them, how to combine them to make the best meal. Dishes that require more sugar, he adds more salt. A piece of meat that should be served medium well, he serves burnt to a crisp. I've always said that all the DCEU needed was better chefs in the kitchen. And right now, who better than Joss Whedon to step in and help liven things up with Batgirl? I mean, the man's got chops. You look at his track record, you got Firefly, you got Buffy, you got the fucking Avengers. He knows how to create a balance between humor and spectacle. He knows how to do some serious world building. He knows how to write strong female characters. He knows comic books. He knows DC, having tried so hard to make a Wonder Woman movie a few years back. I think he's an inspired choice. And now, when you look at the people being called upon to make these DCEU movies, you realize that the dishes that Warner Brothers hopes to serve us in the next few years could be really, really delicious. I mean, let's look at these chefs we have coming up, everybody. You got James Wan. You got Joss Whedon. You got Matt Reeves. You've even possibly got Matthew fucking Vaughn. I mean, now we're talking. You know, now we're talking. These are really good filmmakers with track records I can really get behind. Unlike Zack Snyder, who when they put him in charge of Man of Steel and then basically had him be the architect for the DCEU as we knew it for the next couple of years, I thought, what the fuck is this based on? You know, the, the, the only movie he made that was really, you know, a huge hit at the box office that fans really liked, that critics really liked, the only one was like 300. And I get it. Okay, so that was a comic book movie. So, okay, he had a hit comic book movie. But it's like, did you not see Watchmen? Did you not see that other shitty one? I, already, I, I think I've blocked it out of my mind. What is it? The uh, fucking uh, Sucker Punch, that one. Did you not see that? You know, like, how is this the guy that you give the keys to the castle? It was just bullshit. But now, with him out of the way, you look at these names, you look at the people they're hiring, and suddenly the DCEU doesn't look like such a fucking train wreck anymore. Um, you know, of course, now the big question will become the issue of creative freedom. You know, we've all read the reports about how Whedon felt very burned out by Marvel towards the end of his run there. Similar to John Favreau post Iron Man 2, Whedon was, was just done with all of the teamwork required to get those movies made. Hell, he, he vowed he was going to spend the foreseeable future working on original properties of his own creation because he was tired of adapting other people's creations. And yet, here he is now working on Batgirl. That tells me that Jeff Johns told him they're going to stay out of his way and just let him make the movie he wants to make. That this won't be another MCU thing where you're basically part of a writer's room and everything you do has ramifications on 90 other movies that are being made. So... Yeah, I feel like they, they definitely offered him a deal very similar to what they offered Reeves. Otherwise, why would he sign on to enter a whole other comic book franchise if it was just going to be more of the same, you know? 
So that's why, similar to Matt Reeves, I have a feeling Whedon is going to make his movie his way. And now, you know, how that all works with keeping everything contained within one cohesive franchise slash universe, only time will tell. But my point is, this will be a Whedon joint with minimal studio meddling, and you've got Johns at WonderCon talking about how the DCEU is really about heart, humor, and heroics. And it's just, you know, it's pretty exciting stuff. I got to be honest. So you're hearing that from me, the fucking, you know, the jaded DCEU guy. Hearing about Joss Whedon, hearing these remarks from Jeff Johns about how they want to really emphasize heart, humor, and heroics. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. I said it in the end of my uh, last big DCEU exploration that I did for that other site. That, you know, that piece of shit fucking site that took off my you know, name off all my work. Um, you know, like I said there, I really am fairly optimistic about the future. And the Whedon thing really just sort of, you know, cements that for me. You know, that said, if I want to just shit on it a little bit, it's like, really? Batgirl? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I would have naturally been a little more excited if Whedon was doing something like, uh, if he was doing Justice League 2. You know, but, um, you know, Batgirl, it just, it, it continues what I, what I said a few weeks back that the DCEU and Warner Brothers eyes isn't so much a DC extended universe as much as it is Batman and friends. But like I said, I don't mind, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that they're bringing better filmmakers into the fold and that the, the Snyder era really seems to be coming to an abrupt end, um, but uh, that's enough on that. Uh, yeah, I mentioned Matt Reeves earlier. And, you know, the uh, the Batman director's next film, War for the Planet of the Apes, got a new trailer last week. That was one of the other big trailers that landed on everyone's doorstep. Um, let me think. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how to feel about it because I think I just... I, I'm, I'm, I've reached a, a point in that franchise where even though I've, I've enjoyed the first two movies in it, I think I'm just sort of done. And it's not really anyone's fault. The movie looks very finely made. And Matt Reeves, I think, definitely has the chops to make a good Batman movie. But I don't know. I'm just kind of over it. I don't know if like just seeing a bunch of talking apes walking around with guns. Like, I, I don't know. I, what are we doing here? You know, maybe it's just the, uh, the grouchy 33-year-old in me. But I'm kind of like, I don't know. You know, for me, it's almost, it's just it's kind of getting hokey. Uh, I, I, you know, I like my, my science fiction where it's very <laughs> allegorical, where I can really see how it ties into you know, real life and, and how the metaphors work and how I can understand, ah, so the monkey's really a stand-in for yada, yada, yada. Oh, you know, that sort of stuff and, you know, engages me. This, you know, looking at the trailer, I'm just like, all right, it's a bunch of military men trying to kill a bunch of apes. I just, I don't know. I'm not that interested, honestly. I saw the trailer, and I didn't really comment on it. I know that, uh, you know, uh, Tavo Borrego, you tweeted that at me. I'm sorry I didn't get back to you there. I doesn't really have an opinion. I'm kind of just, I'm not sure. War for the Planet of the Apes for me is going to be one of those movies that I check out. If the reviews are absolutely stellar, and I have nothing better to do, I will go check it out. But otherwise... I'm not, I'm kind of just, I'm not really interested. I'm really not. 
I think it's just uh, not necessarily for me. Um, but now let's circle back to last week's big topic. Last week, we spoke a lot about Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, you know, I had Kelvin on. I had uh, Dave on from Storm of Spoilers, you know, two former Latino review fellas with me. And we spoke a lot about Spider-Man. And uh, there's just been some interesting things that came shortly after that trailer dropped that I didn't get to address. Uh, I didn't get to address on the show. Uh, pretty much immediately, there were these reports about Amy Pascal talking about how, you know, uh, Spider-Man may not be part of the MCU any longer past uh, Spider-Man Homecoming 2. But, you know, th that to me was like a ridiculous clickbait sort of situation. Because she didn't really say that. All she said was, you know, everything is sort of up in the air. That, you know, for the time being, the you know Sony and Marvel have only really discussed things up to that point. Up to... Basically, you know, let's say all they've really discussed was Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers Infinity War, and Spider-Man Homecoming 2, which makes sense. I mean, that, that covers you right there for several years worth of Spider-Man content. And we know, according to Kevin Feige, as much as they love to announce their phases and their release dates in advance, they really do try to keep things fairly local in terms of you know, let's work on what's closest to us. Let's work on the films that are the closest to us and let's not get too, too far in advance. So if you think about it, you know, when is Spider-Man Homecoming 2 supposed to come out? Uh, I think they said like 2019. So it makes sense to me that they wouldn't be having any hardcore conversations about where to go next past that sequel. Um, so I wouldn't, if you're someone who read about that and you got pulled into all that I wouldn't, you know, the, I wouldn't freak out and say that, oh my God, they're going to take Spider-Man back. Sony's going to take Spider-Man back. You know, she even commented on it again recently. There was uh, some quotes from Miss Pascal talking about, uh, you know, nothing precludes anything. The sky is open right now. And I think that if we can keep this goodwill going, I think it's going to be good for the fans and good for the journalists and the nerds and good for the companies. I love it. She didn't have to throw in the nerds. But, you know, she sounds happy about the uh, what's going on between Sony and Marvel. You know, she told Nerdist. Uh, Nerdist.com. She said, I, I think that there's a surprisingly generous and cooperative thing going on between the two studios. And, you know, I think both sides would be ridiculous to not be very open-minded and very generous with one another to make sure that Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man stays firmly part of the MCU. Um, I just think, you know, th that's going to work itself out, especially... If Spider-Man Homecoming does killer business and Spider-Man's inclusion in the next one or two Avengers movies is as successful as it could be, you know, they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out a way to keep this relationship going. So I would not freak the fuck out about Spidey going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and while we're just, you know, still talking about Spidey, you know, it looks like they're really going to try to avoid repeating villains which I'm really happy about because that was something that really surprised the fuck out of me about the amazing Spider-Man when they, when Mark Webb rebooted it, because I'm like, we, you know, he's really touching on stuff that feels very familiar. 
You know, we, we had a Dr. Connors, and we were going to finally see him as Lizard, presumably if Sam Raimi was able to make a fourth movie. And instead, we got a different Dr. Connors and that Lizard, um, which, okay, that was kind of different because we didn't technically see Lizard. But we already saw that explored, you know, the relationship between Peter Parker and Dr. Connors. You know, we already sort of saw some of that. So we didn't really need a lizard, and we didn't need another fucking confrontation on the 59th Street Bridge that was also like, we just did this. Um, then you had all like the, the, the Osborne stuff in Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is like, come on, we've already done the Harry and Norman Osborne stuff. We just had a goblin. Like, let's leave these things alone for a while. And now it looks like, you know, according to a uh, Marvel producer, Eric Carroll, you know, he says, we want to tread lightly, very lightly. Uh, I'm adding the very part, but you know, he said, we want to tread lightly with what's been done in the past films in terms of like the Osbournes and things like that. So I, I, I don't think we're not going directly down that route anytime soon. So it sounds to me like they're, you know, they're, they're looking at what's been done already and they're going to really try to look into other villains, which I think is great. You know, Spider-Man has a great rogues gallery, and I'm kind of excited to not have to think that, all right, I guess we're going right for another Green Goblin again, you know? Um, so that's encouraging. Then while we're on, still on the subject of good old Spidey, who seems to be the gift that keeps on giving, a few months back I wrote about you know, what a shame it is that the Marvel you know, cinematic and TV universes aren't more connected. I brought up the fact that, you know, with Spidey being such a local New York-based superhero, it's going to be weird that, we're, you know, we, we, that the Defenders aren't going to be addressed at all, that they're not going to be a part of Spider-Man Homecoming at all. Considering, you know, whatever Spidey's got going on in this movie with, uh, with Vulture, you would have to think that Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist... That it would be on their radar too, because they are their local New York superheroes, um, and you know it, it basically got confirmed that that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, Carol, the same guy who who spoke to us about the uh, the the villains, said that the defenders are not specifically referenced in this movie. No, I I think that's something we all think would be really fun, and it's definitely a card I would love to see played if not sooner rather than later. But as of now, it's not referenced in this movie. So yeah, it sounds like he would love to have the Defenders eventually cross paths with Spidey. But for the time being, for Spider-Man Homecoming, there's no, uh, there's no mention of that. Uh, anyway, and that's a shame. I really, you know, I, it would be cool if at some point there was more of a relationship between the big screen and the small screen Marvel Universe. Uh, you know, that is how they sold it to us, after all. They sold this whole Marvel universe as, you know, basically everything is interconnected. The Marvel TV shows, the Marvel movies, everything is one large canvas. The mythology is one unified continuity now. Meanwhile, you know, if you really pay attention, there's, you know, there, there, there's not a lot of interconnectivity here. And uh, I think that's a glaring problem in their, in their strategy. Um... But speaking of the Defenders, they did get a release date. Did you guys hear? There was that little teaser that was released. 
and it revealed that the Defenders will unite on August 18th of this year, everybody. On August 18th, you will be re- you will be able to binge watch to your heart's content the Defenders on Netflix. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, so they will not be in Spider-Man Homecoming. Someone who obviously will be is Robert Downey Jr. And it's been like, you know, it's been a recurring topic, right? Like how much Iron Man is in this movie. Because in the two trailers so far, and three if you can, if you count the uh, international version of the first one, um, so far there's been a lot of Robert Downey Jr. There's been a lot of that MCU stuff with the Avengers Tower in the background. You know, Dave and I discussed at length last week how like you know the MCU really seems to be heavily playing its hand in the promotional materials for Spider-Man Homecoming where they really want to convey to the audience, listen, this is not like the other Sony Spider-Man movies. This is part of the whole Avengers universe. Give us a chance. We know that you've already seen Peter, you know, three different Peter Parkers in the last like eight years, but this this one's special. But um, there was actually some uh, some follow-up on that, that, you know, they, they were basically, someone was asked about how much, you know, Robert Downey Jr., how much Tony Stark... Is there really? And it sounds like maybe Dave and I were right. You know, those of us, and we're not the only ones, a lot of us have been saying that the scenes that we've seen so far in these two trailers, those might be all of them. Because Eric Carroll was asked about it, and he said that Robert Downey Jr. might be in like five or six scenes. That's it. Five or six scenes. And I, I feel like if you go through the trailers, you could probably just see all this. You know, you could see you see clips from five or six scenes that involve him. So that seems to be confirmation of the idea that yes, he's featured very prominently in the trailers, but he's actually not really in that much of the movie. Um, he and he went on, you know, when asked about what the relationship between Stark and and Peter Parker is like. He said, I think we're seeing the beginning of a sort of father-son relationship. Obviously, Tony hasn't got any kids, and Peter, at this point, hasn't gotten any male figures in his life, so I think there's a really lovely dynamic that Robert and I are forming. And no, um, and no, let me take that back. I think Robert is more like a big brother than he is a father figure because he picks on him and he is down on him quite a lot. But then there is that level of him caring about him like his own. And Robert has really brought something lovely to the character. It's a very different side of Stark than you've seen before. Um, And I'm sorry, I I made it sound like that was Carol who said that. Uh, It was Tom Holland who said that. The the man who plays Spidey, Peter Parker himself. So uh, that's just a little insight into what their dynamic is like. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, did you guys see the funny thing that started, you know, went viral that, uh, somebody took like a, a freeze frame of the shot of Peter Parker and Tony hugging in the car. And, uh, they were like, you know, has anyone considered that this might be Peter's first hug from a father figure since uncle Ben died? And they were trying to make it very emotional. And Robert Downey Jr. basically commented all this just to bang Aunt May. I fucking love Robert Downey Jr., man. He's hilarious on social media. I love that he really gets into it with fans about all this sort of fanboy stuff. So, yeah, there is also that angle. Who knows? Maybe Robert Downey... You know, maybe uh, Tony's trying to bang old Aunt May 
And like some of us were saying on Twitter last week with Marissa Tomei playing her, uh, who can blame him? But um, all right, so that was your Spidey update for the week. There was another trailer. There was the trailer for It that came out. And, you know, uh, it's so good, the trailer, that it almost makes me forget, almost makes me forget the fact that I'm pissed off. Because <laughs> I am. I Look, I really wanted Carrie Fukunaga's version of It. You know, his two-part opus that he wrote and was ready to make. Like, you know, he, he was going to do like a Stranger Things thing before Stranger Things was a thing. And, you know, Fukunaga won me over completely with True Detective Season 1. I think he's a gifted storyteller, and the idea of, merge, of merging his vision with Stephen King, oh, man, I was, like, on the edge of my seat waiting for that. And then, you know, Warner Brothers fucked with him, and he ended up leaving over creative differences. A very familiar story for Warner Brothers directors. But, you know, that said, I saw this trailer, and I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm sold. I'm going to give you a shot. It looks scary. It looks moody, and like the cast is ready to bring it, so they will get my money. I will, I will be there, possibly even day one. Because little, little funny, little side story. The first it gave me nightmares, like legitimate nightmares. I remember I was, uh, I was like six when it came out. I want to say six or seven, and somehow I was allowed to see it. I used to see all kinds of scary shit. Probably way too young, much younger than I should have been. But uh, like I, I feel like my dad even took me to see Halloween 4 in theaters. And years later, as an adult, I looked at what year Halloween 4 came out. And I'm like, holy shit, I was not even 10 years old yet. I was like 8, I think. Dad, what are you doing to me? So anyway, I saw It on TV. And then, speaking of dad... We flew out to Puerto Rico for a little summer vacation for a couple weeks. And I'll never forget this night I had because of it. I remember I was sleeping in the guest room of my grandmother's house in Levittown, which is funny because there's a Levittown out here in Long Island where my in-laws live. But in Puerto Rico, there's a Levittown, Levittown also spelled the same way. And uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm sleeping in, in the guest room. My, my cousin's in the bed a few feet away from me. And I remember, for whatever reason, that fucking clown, Pennywise, was on my mind. And I remember I looked down the hall because my, my, the bed was in front of the hallway and the door was open. And for some reason, the light in the hallway was on. And I remember at some point, I must have had like a, like I was half awake, half sleeping. I don't know what happened. But I looked down the hall and I saw Pennywise down the fucking hall by the room. He was by the doorway of the room down the hall. I closed my eyes and I said, oh shit, okay, I'm just dreaming. This can't be real. I look up again and now he's not at the opposite end of the hall. He's halfway down the hall. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. He's halfway down the hall. Now I look over to the other side of the room to like see if, I, if my cousin's awake, if I can get his attention. And when I look back, he's in the doorway. Okay? You can't make this shit up. All right? I know it didn't happen, obviously, 
But that's how vivid the nightmare was. He was right there in the door and I freaked the fuck out. I got up, I turned on the lights. I ran to the room where my dad was sleeping. And I just like, I don't even think I told him what had happened. I just like needed to be around a grown up for a few minutes because I was freaking the fuck out. So it will always have one of those special places in my psyche as one of the first times as a child and in my life where I was really, really bone chillingly, legitimately scared of something. Pennywise was my first real boogeyman. So seeing the it trailer got me very excited. And you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that Carrie Fukunaga is not making it, but you know what? Uh, it looks like they still managed to salvage it and make a pretty damn good looking movie. So uh, bring it on, literally. You know what I mean? Uh, another one of the, another news story that hit the web is, uh, and this is actually fairly fresh. You know, there's been a lot of questions about when will these fucking Avatar sequels finally get shot? We've been hearing about Avatar for like a thousand years. When is it going to happen? Oh. And then you hear Sebastian screaming out there. He's playing. Anyway, um, Sigourney Weaver just said, uh, it was either like last night or earlier today, she said, uh, we're trying to get it done as quickly as possible. She says they're so worth it. They're well worth waiting for. And he said, you know, she said, we're starting. We're starting training and we're starting. Hmm, I probably can't say anything. We will actually be shooting in the fall, shooting by the fall, she said. So, look, I, uh, I know that it's very popular to shit on the first Avatar, but I think anyone who does that is basically just a troll who doesn't really know what they're talking about, okay? Um, for me, bring it the fuck on. I, I love James Cameron. Uh, the man has done me no wrong. I know people like to call his work derivative, and you know, and it's common to see people fucking trolls online dismiss avatar because it's plot seemed like other plots but for me all that falls under my mantra that i've been saying forever that some of you are starting to come around to i even got what's his name mark wade to to tweet me about it on uh, on twitter a few weeks back about the idea that plot is overrated it's all about execution and yes okay if you distill avatar down to its core bullet points it's definitely stuff we've seen before, but so are movies. And I've mentioned this, I'm beating a dead horse here, but I, I think these are great, current, relevant examples. You know, so are movies like John Wick, movies like Deadpool, even Creed, which everyone was so in love with last year. Uh, movies everyone is so psyched for right now, like It, uh, like Spider-Man Homecoming. Look, those movies are all going to cover well-trod territory. And yet, if the execution is great, no one will give a fuck. And that's how I felt about the first Avatar. The plot was nothing special, nothing I haven't seen before. But the execution, the visuals, the world that was created, the allegories for our real lives, I found it all jaw-dropping. And that's a long-ass fucking movie. I saw it three times in theaters. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm not typically someone who's easily won over by spectacle or CGI or, or visuals in general. To me... Just the whole package, the entire experience was just masterful. So bring on the sequels. Bring them on. I, I, I'm glad they're going to start filming finally. And for me, it really says something 
that Cameron would even do any of this because this is not something he's like typically known for. You know, it's it, he's one of those filmmakers who I just trust, you know. So if he's willing to do this for the first time ever, basically make like a four or five film series, uh, something that he's just, you know, he did Terminator 1 and then he did 2 like seven years later and then he never, you know, he didn't go back and he didn't make that True Lies 2 sequel. Um, he's not someone who tries to sequelize his stuff. So if, if, if something has inspired him to make all these Avatar sequels and to shoot them, you know, back to back in this very ambitious way that he's doing it, I've got to believe he's doing it for a reason. So I'm in. Um, another bit of interesting news that's come up, shifting gears a little bit. I just want to quickly touch on uh, Star Wars little tidbit that, that came out today. That, you know, Star Wars Rebels, for those of you who watch the Star Wars Rebels cartoon, which is set in the same universe as the films and is really basically, you know, it, it helps flesh out what we see on the big screen. It was announced that Star Wars, Star Wars Rebels will connect some, you know, a, a very important Rogue One dot. Uh, you know, in Rogue One, it was sort of alluded to that somewhere along the way, Saw Gerrera and the rebellion basically parted ways. That uh, you know, he became an extremist and he got he became more man than machine after a while and he became sort of like uh you know, just like a dark, violent rebel. And that he and the uh the, the you know the, the rebellion, the core rebellion, no longer saw eye to eye. Uh, he was an extremist. And yeah, that's something that's never really been touched on in the films. You know, really like the rebellion has always been like, all right, these are the good guys. And the Empire, these are the bad guys. You know, now you got the fucking Resistance and you have the First Order, which is just kind of more of the same. But, you know, it's always kind of been like that. Rogue One was the first movie that really sort of brought to everyone's attention the idea that the Rebellion is not just one cohesive, one big happy family. That, you know, before they became unified, there were some splinters and there were some, you know, ideological differences. So, um... Dave Filoni, the showrunner for Star Wars Rebels, said that in season four, you will see Mon Mothma again. You'll see Saw Gerrera again. You'll get much more of an insight into seeing how that relationship breaks down and breaks apart. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to connect basically what happened there along the way, how it is that Saw Gerrera eventually became sort of this guy who was on the outskirts and how the rebellion you know, went its own way. So for those of you fans who are big Star Wars junkies like I am, uh, I don't watch Star Wars Rebels, but I know I have to. Uh, you know, for those of you who, who are big Star Wars junkies, it looks like season four is going to be a bit of a treat there because they're going to help flesh out some of what we've seen. Um, so something else I, I did this week, aside from get my ass to the movies, was I watched WrestleMania on Sunday. Um, this was unique for me because... In the, let's see, I've been a wrestling fan since about 1987, when I was four. And in the 30 years, in the nearly 30 years that I've been watching wrestling, this was the first WrestleMania that I watched, essentially knowing nothing about what was going on going into it. It was the first one I've ever watched merely as, you know, like, all right, I guess I should because, hey, it's WrestleMania. 
but I came into it cold. I haven't I haven't watched any Raw, any SmackDown, any pay-per-view in the last few months. So all I really knew was the bare bones of what the card itself is. And uh, I know Goldberg's back. Uh, I did pay attention, whatever that was, like five months ago to his like his first match back. I think that was like Survivor Series, I want to say. So watching this WrestleMania was very interesting to me because I've never done that before. I've never just, all right, I'm going to watch it sheerly out of some sort of misguided obligation. Um, and that said, I... Uh, I don't know. For me, it was a very like thumbs in the middle kind of show because there were a couple of great moments very early on. I actually really enjoyed AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon. I really enjoyed uh, Kevin Owens versus Chris Jericho. And that was all in the first hour. The Hardy Boys return. Oh, my God. My head fucking flew off. That was very exciting. Um and, you know, I even enjoyed, for what it was, I enjoyed Triple H versus Seth Rollins. And and the uh, the initial, the Fatal 4-Way women's match was pretty damn good. But overall, I would say those were good, but the bad was really bad. And I, at times, the show was just very boring, very just like, I don't know, I... I I I had a real hard time really getting engaged and getting really excited by this show. To me, it's just they become too long too. You know, it, I sat there from seven till midnight watching wrestling, and I'm like, ah, five hours is just too goddamn much. You know, and, and thank God I didn't watch the pre-show because I would have been six hours. So to me, just the show dragged. Uh, I'm trying to think about like before I get to Undertaker if there's anything that I want anything else I wanted to say about the overall show. Um, very surprised by the people who are getting pushed and the people who are being de-emphasized. Like when I watched last year, you know, Dean Ambrose seemed to be poised to be, you know, a big main event star. Now he's on the fucking pre-show. Uh, AJ Styles, I thought, okay, he's going to be a main eventer. And he was the curtain jerker with Shane McMahon. Uh, and then, you know, in the main event matches, it was three part-timers. You know, you had Triple H, who d doesn't really wrestle anymore in a match. You had uh, Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar, two part-timers fighting each other. And then you had Undertaker, who only wrestles like once a year. So, you know, I I'm very surprised at, at the fact that some of the big up-and-coming stars... Uh, just didn't make it anywhere on the card aside from like the fucking pre-show but um all right so let's get to the undertaker that was heavy uh I, I i had a feeling it was happening as soon as i realized the uh the where they slotted the match to happen i'm like oh shit this is his last match because i remember i was seeing it with scully for those of you who follow i was watching it at scully's house and uh we were both very surprised that Brock and Goldberg happened when it did. We thought that was going to be the show closer. As soon as I saw that Roman Reigns versus The Undertaker was going to be the show closer, I'm like, okay, either there's going to be a huge angle at the end of this, or this is the end of The Undertaker's career. This is going to be the, the retirement match, which they never announced, but this is going to be it. They're going to do it sort of, they're going to stun people. 
Then when Jim Ross came down the ramp to announce it, I said, oh, that's it. It's not an angle. This is it. This is the end of The Undertaker. Because uh, to me, there was other, there was no real justification to have Jim Ross there otherwise. So then the match got going. It was an ugly, brutal match. And I don't mean brutal in like the violence was brutal. It was brutal just in terms of like this was just not fun to watch. It was just a bunch of kicking and punching and slow, methodical nonsense. Uh, the drama wasn't really there. It was very underwhelming for me as a match. But, um, you know, the, uh, the post-match stuff really saved it. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, it was very interesting to watch the crowd have that realization of what was going on. Because nothing was announced. He didn't get on the mic. There was nothing on the screen that said so long, Undertaker. It was all done through, like, body language. It was all done through just the way that he responded to the loss. Lying there, staring up at the, uh, at, at the ceiling for a long time. And then, you know, getting the, uh, the coat and the hat on. And then, basically, piece by piece, taking off the gloves, the coat, the hat laying them down in the middle of the ring. It was all very symbolic. It was all very powerful. And yeah, obviously with that epic Undertaker music playing and all that other shit, um, that, way, that, that, that packed an emotional punch that I, I was sort of uh, surprised that it did. I, I, I didn't expect to have so many feels, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was very goosebump-inducing to see The Undertaker, you know, the greatest gimmick that's ever happened in wrestling finally come to an end. So uh, Mr. Mark Calloway, who's portrayed The Undertaker for these last uh, fucking 30 years, thank you. Thank you for all you've given the, uh, the world of sports entertainment. Thanks for all the entertaining moments. I wish your final match had been against someone a little more exciting. And that the drama had been a little more, you know, heightened. But you know what? You went out the way you wanted to go out. You main evented WrestleMania. And then you said goodbye. So for me, that was the big takeaway from WrestleMania. It was a so-so show with some really great moments. But most importantly, it was the end of an era. So uh, that that was my WrestleMania stuff. Um and really, aside from that, you know, I've been mainlining Masters of Sex on Showtime. I've been I, I've been basically watching that every free moment. I basically, if I'm not watching Zelda, I'm, let's try that again. If I'm not playing Zelda, I'm watching Masters of Sex lately. That's just how my week has been. Um, Masters of Sex, man, it's really it's one of those shows that just speaks to me. Do any of you guys out there have those shows that just like, you know, or movies that they seem to just be speaking directly to you? Uh, there are times I'm watching that series and it just feels like, you know, the writers know exactly where I'm at mentally today. And this episode is here just to basically communicate something to me from the universe. Uh, I know it's getting kind of mystical and schmaltzy for you, but fuck it. It's how I feel. Um, Masters of Sex is just one of those shows for me where it just feels like you, they're speaking directly to me, and uh, I, it's a really special show for me. And right now, I'm 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 working my way towards being caught up. I've officially arrived in season four, which I know ended uh, like 
three months ago now. So once I, I'm done with season four, I have to wait like everyone else for season five. So, damn it. And aside from that, I've still got Zelda going on. I, I checked on my play log to see, because I remember last week I was saying I probably lost like a complete day of my life in terms of hours. And, oh, I was wrong. It looks like when I made that claim to you guys last week, I was already at like 40 plus hours. And now I'm at 60 plus hours of playtime in uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, so th- th- that's kind of my entertainment life right now. You know, I saw Get Out. I saw Life. I saw WrestleMania. And I basically just, when I'm home, I'm either with Zelda in my hands or uh, Masters of Sex in my eyes. Um, I've also been listening a lot to the new John Mayer album, uh, The Search for Everything, Phases 1 and 2. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's that's what your fanboy friend over here has been spending his time doing in the last week. What have you guys been watching? Most importantly, I've got a question of the week for you. You ready? Because we're getting down here towards the end of the show. So let me just ask you. With Joss Whedon defecting from Marvel to DC, name a filmmaker from any of the established cinematic universes that you'd like to see make a movie set in a rival universe. For example, want to see James Mangold direct a Daredevil movie? Want to see Zack Snyder jump ship and do an X-Men flick? How about John Favreau making the next Justice League? Since there seems to be no such thing as allegiances anymore, with Whedon, who was such a mainstay of the Marvel thing, he was a huge part of their first two phases, and now he's in a he's making a DC movie, you know, with allegiances basically being out the window, my question to you, or my request of you is this. Pick any director from any franchise, MCU, XCU, DCEU, and pair them with any other project in any other franchise, and let me know. Because apparently, if Whedon can do it, I think anyone can do it. There's no such thing now as uh, as battle lines being drawn when it comes to the filmmakers. It looks like anyone can make any movie for any company. So with that sort of freedom in mind, pick any director from any of those franchises and pair them up with a comic book property from any of the other ones. And uh, I'd love to hear what you'd like to see. All right? Um, aside from that, you know, last week's question of the week... There was uh, that little, you know, I, I just generally asked about what you guys thought of the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. Uh, what did it do for your hypometer? And, uh, you know, the, the, the overwhelming response was nines and tens. And most people were already hyped for Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, and that trailer really just sort of hit that point home even further that it's a must-see for them. Nobody responded negatively. So that's why I don't really even need to get into reading each response out. Um, what I am going to read for you, though, is I got another wonderful review uh, on the podcast. Um, and before I get to reading it, uh, there's something going on, and I don't know what the fuck it is. Uh, I've had two different people reach out to me just to let me know that they've submitted reviews, and they haven't gone up. They've like been lost in the wind. And this one, I know for a fact, the guy only wrote it a week ago, and it's been up for like five or six days already. So that means that the ones that I was told about before this one just never made it up. There was one from uh, 
my 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 Australian friend Dan Barley, and there's even fucking Joseph Jammer Medina, my dude from back in the day. He wrote a review because he's a big fan of the show. And Joe, if you're listening, I love you. I miss you. And uh, may we continue to have a wonderful, bright future together. But um, yeah, so I know for a fact that at least two other reviews, and there might even be more of you. I don't know if others of you have been putting in reviews. For some reason, they're not getting up. So I don't know what that's about. I'm going to try to see if I can contact iTunes about that. But... Here is the latest review that did go up. It's another five-star review. It says, new name, new look, same great taste. I came across MFR while listening to another podcast he was on. His knowledge of the industry and the fanboy in him make him someone that many, if not all, should listen to. That's what gravitated me to stick with that old show, and I continue listening to him to this very day. Gracias por todo lo que haces. Sinceramente, Carlos Canela. Carlos, mil gracias, amigo. Um, so, yeah, so thank you for the review. Uh, for those of you out there who've submitted reviews, I don't know why they're not going up. For those of you who have not yet, please, uh, you know, write one. Uh, I'm trying to grow the brand here. So, you know, by all means, write a review for LEL Fanboy Podcast, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are available. Also, go and subscribe to the L Fanboy YouTube channel. Be sure to follow me on the Twitter at I underscore am underscore MFR. And uh, I got more updates coming up for you about Patreon and other things, hopefully in the next week or so. Uh, it's just uh, I've been a little scattered lately. Um, but that's it, guys. I think that's it. It's time for me to go back to uh, Masters of Sex and Zelda because uh, I, I, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a twitch. It's been too long since I've done either. Thank you, guys, and I'll see you next week.